secret spillers and future secret spillers. We are so glad you found our pod. I'm Jay. And I'm G. Join us on our journey to uncover the secrets behind ethical, sustainable, and health-focused brands. Together, we interview industry leaders and experts who are paving the way towards a more conscious and responsible future. We aim to inspire and empower you to become more informed and conscious consumers, from fashion to food, to beauty and biohacking, no topic is off limits. Tune in as we do our little part to make the world healthier, safer, and cleaner. You'll find that with us, there really are no secrets added. Okay, let's spill. Hi, Secret Spillers, it's Jay here. I just got off a great interview with Aaron Smith, who uh, is an expert on all things influencers, influencer economy, um, just a wealth of knowledge about marketing in this new crazy social media world that we live in. Um, Aaron has such an impressive career and track record when it comes to working with uh, influencers, models, celebrities, you name it. And we really dive into what it means to establish a presence online, how to monetize that presence, um, and some really surprising things about how powerful even the small community uh, or small influencer platform can be and how it can actually be really lucrative. So I think if you're interested in building a, a brand, if you have a small business, uh, this is definitely a episode that you're going to want to listen to. Sorry, I just got a text there. And if you were interested about how the conscious consumer movement, being a smart consumer, being a consumer who is people and planet oriented, uh, intersects with influencer marketing and the influencer economy, this is a great listen for you too. We talk about uh, what trends Aaron is seeing in the industry overall and what the future of being a social seller looks like and what it means. So there is so much to unpack here. It's such a good behind the scenes look. Uh, we got we dive into numbers too. If you're curious how much some of these big influencers are making, uh, we give some ballpark numbers. So give us a listen, give us a like, review, um, anything that you want to do to help promote an NSA and the No Secrets Added community is always greatly appreciated. We love you guys. G will be back next week with me. Um, back in the studio to record some stuff. So thanks and enjoy this episode with Eric. Secret Spillers, today I am so thrilled to welcome Aaron Smith to the podcast. Aaron is the Creator Partnerships Manager at BFA Industries for all paid programs inclusive of IPSI. Her responsibilities include developing and executing influencer programs from strategic and creative development, identifying influencers, negotiating and contracting, creating briefs, and approving content to recap and analyze results. She works closely with celebrity talent for the curated box known as the Icon Box, and Erin prides herself on the relationships she has built over the years and continues to work with many amazing people uh, at Ipsy. She strives to be an example for how marketers can build collaborative relationships that are not only beneficial to brands, but are also enjoyable for creators and talent. Prior to joining BFA, Erin worked at Endeavor for their global marketing department, working on influencer partnerships with brands such as McGill Ultra, Reebok, E&J Gala Wines, Amazon Books, and New York Fashion Week. She holds a BA from the University of San Diego, 
Francisco Terreros uh, in marketing and has been invited to speak to current students about careers in fashion and beauty. She was also recently invited to speak at UCLA's Intro to Social Media Marketing uh, for pre-college students. So, wow, Erin, that is a lot. Welcome to the pod. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I was so thrilled and honored when you reached out. So this is so exciting. Oh for sure. Wow. The honor is all ours. We've come a long way, Erin, since our early days at USD drinking boxed wine in the Carmel apartments after <laughs> reading your intro. <laughs> you are amazing. Um, and yeah, Georgie isn't here with us today. Obviously, it's this is a J. Jay only show with Erin today. Um, so sorry to all the Georgie stands out there. She'll be back with us next time. Um, but we did talk a lot about why we wanted to interview on the podcast um, because we feel like there's just a lot of mystery surrounding influencer marketing and what that means and what is happening behind the scenes. Uh, because let's be honest, like that is how we are all shopping these days. Um, so I think part of being a conscious consumer is understanding that side of, um, of commerce and how you can shop consciously with influencers that you love. Um, so yeah, I kick it off with uh, a big kind of umbrella question for you, Erin, but can you talk to us about the influencer economy, how it started and kind of where you see it going? Yes, definitely. So the influencer economy, despite what people will want to think about it, it's definitely expanding. I'm always shocked when I hear and I go to conferences how much this industry is growing. Um, I think right now I was reading recently this Goldman Sachs are um, like recently stated in an article about the current um, like what the current influencer economy is worth. And right now it's worth about $250 billion, but it's expensive. Yes. Shut up. $250 billion <laughs> exactly um and then it's expected to roughly double by 2027 which is so crazy to think because the influencer economy isn't something that's been around forever it's really constantly evolving and there's new apps coming out and new creators so it's so crazy to think how big this industry is and it's not going anywhere, despite maybe what people think like, oh, what happens with TikTok? If TikTok's gone, the influencer economy is going to come to an end. No, it's not. There's so many other platforms out there right now. Right. There's just more to come. So that's pretty much where it's at right now. Um, to answer your second question about how it started, I really like to think when we were in high school is when social media, like then 2010s is really when social media took off. And right. And for listeners who might not know how old Aaron and I are, um, we are 22. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Rapidly approaching 30. Um, but we were in high school. I don't know. Did you, did you graduate in high school in 2013? I think that's. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. So sure. around that time. Yeah. So like, I remember being on like Twitter in like 2011, maybe. And so it was just people kind of posting whatever was on their mind. It wasn't anything curated. Um, but I really like to think of the OG influencer in my own mind as the blogger. Um, right. where it was yeah. a, a website, their own blogs. It wasn't anything on social media yet. So those are really what I think of their original influencers. However, some people can argue that influencing goes back to like the 18th century with royalty, if you think about it. Like, oh, whatever. Wow. I've never yeah. heard that, but you're kind of right. Yeah, if you think about like what a queen would going way, way back, but 
not that I have a strong royal history, but um, sense of royal history, I should say, but <laughs> a queen would wear, what, who a queen would maybe appoint to design her clothes or cook her food. The, those are tech, like not only was the queen or the king technically an influencer of their time, but also like those who were, who they appointed would maybe be considered influencers, if you will, because they were almost given this, the sense of status by yeah. a higher power. So it's kind of interesting. It's like influencers have been around forever, but it's that term that's kind of new to our society. And then I guess it's like probably the platforms, right? Would you say? Because obviously if you weren't appointed by a king or queen or, you know, before the internet, if you weren't a famous actor or singer, you didn't, you weren't able to cultivate a platform for yourself, but that exactly. kind of all changed with the internet. Am I right about that? Yeah. Definitely. And I think even before, before the internet, if you will, there was the sense of um, celebrity endorsements. So you can also look at celebrities as almost the OG influencer before it was a little bit more modernized. So such as you had um, like Michael Jordan for, for right. shoes and Nike and these different people who were in Super Bowl commercials. And those were almost another way to think of influencers, even though it's not really fair because they pretty much had this like natural influence just with what they were already famous for. Right. Um, but that's like another way to, to look at it before we got into once like, then there was the internet and social media really turned into the influencers we know of and associate with today. Yeah. And so you said it like, it's already a $250 billion valuation, like the industry overall. Um, do you think like, where in terms of like where the space is going, like it just depends kind of what apps and platforms come out next. Like that's when we're going to see our next round of success stories. I feel like you said we had our bloggers, then we kind of had our Instagram girlies, then we had our TikTok famous people. And then it's just like, what's next, you know? What's next? Exactly. I think too, um, whatever happens with TikTok, I feel like there will still continue to be this desire for authenticity, which I even think of be real. Um, oh, right. I forgot about be real. People love it because it's in the moment. You can't edit it. There's no filter. And especially with Gen Z right now, what we're seeing is they just want people who are real, who aren't fake, who don't wear, don't have filters on. So I think this like just desire for real content that's relatable will just continue to drive the influencer economy as well. Oh yeah. I think that's a really astute observation. I, I feel it, like the millennial influencer is one that's highlight reel oriented. It's like, you're never going to see me yes. without my makeup on. You're never going to see my house if it doesn't look perfect. Um, which is definitely not relatable, obviously. <laughs> 100%. Trends are you seeing amongst brands and influencers, um, specifically how it relates to consci- the conscious consumer movement. Um, so what kind of things are picking up steam in your space in terms of clean beauty and other conscious brands and ideas? I love this question because I remember a while ago when I started working in beauty, we were talking about how there's so much greenwashing and so much. It's so infuriating. I right? have to do a quick tangent. I'm sorry. So I was at foods the other day. I, I normally have like my brands that I support, like that I like to buy things from, but I was out of hand soap and I was like, I'm not ordering hand soap online and waiting like two weeks for it to come. I like need hand soap in my kitchen. So I was like, I'm at Whole Foods. I'll just see what they have. 
And I have this app. I'll put it in the show notes. Have you heard of the Yuki app? I think that's Lauren actually introduced me to it. Um, oh, yes. roommate, Lauren, our, our, our friend. Um, I, I might not be saying that right, but we'll we'll confirm what it's called after. Anyway, you can scan the barcodes in the store using this app to see like how clean they are and like what kind of ingredients, and it'll give you a rating, which is similar to the EWG app, but it's a little yeah. more friendly friendly for shopping in the moment. So I'm in Whole Foods, scanning, scanning, scanning. I literally. It took me like 15 minutes to find a hand soap and Whole Foods that wasn't like a nine or 10 on the toxicity scale in terms of like bad ingredients. And I was like, what? I am literally at Whole Foods. Everything at Whole Foods is supposed to be good for you. So anyway, tangent aside, you were saying greenwashing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's crazy how many products are labeled as clean or uh, yeah, clean friendly um, that aren't. And I think when I work with influencers and I'm responsible for allocating their products, because if you're not familiar with Ipsy, it's a subscription service. So you get, um, pending which subscription you get, you get between five, you get five products based on a quiz you take. So it's personalized or eight products if it's our celebrity curated box. And, um, so I always ask our influencers since I allocate their products, like, let me know your skin types or if there's any products you you do or you don't want, whether that's cruelty-free, clean, um, or if like, don't send me glitter, whatever it may be. And the most common request I do think I receive is cruelty-free, which is interesting. That so is, cruel, yeah. cruelty-free is definitely the top one. I, but and cruelty-free then, just means generally like no harm to animals or humans making the products. I actually don't know what the- Usually I think just specifically animals. Okay. I forget about no harm in terms of like the birds or yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm That's curious. Point. Yeah. Um, but with cruelty, and then sometimes I've had people say maybe for specific products, like I won't promote this product because of this one ingredient. I will not put on my skin, oh. so, which is interesting. So I am, there are some people that I do notice are a little bit more particular about their ingredients. And I definitely do see it's a trend or maybe they'll, they'll say, if you can allocate products that are clean, that would be preferred. I understand if you can't, however, I do think it's interesting. I think some of the OG beauty creators, the ones that have been around forever, they will more likely take any products within Sometimes they'll give me like a certain color scheme, but they're more likely that they've just been in it for so long that they right. don't have as much as a, of a preference where the younger creators I'm working with, they're the ones who are much more conscious on their products they're receiving. I, I do think it's generational. I think like the people who, the younger people who are kind of coming up are more concerned about that than the generations before us are just because of the nature of our times um so it's good to hear from you though like that the industry is trending in that direction and you're starting to get more requests for um you know brands that are conscious yes yes especially the influencers I work with that are more college age too so maybe some of them are like pre-med like Georgia or yes exactly they're learning about the ingredients so there's so much um they really care so much more about yeah what and for listeners who might not know Georgia's my sister we did an episode with her a couple of weeks ago and she's in medical school so she brings a whole other host of knowledge to this conversation about you know why conscious consumerism matters 
why clean beauty matters, all that stuff. Um, Erin, let's talk behind the scenes. Can you give our secret spillers some insight into um, what you're there, what's happening when an influencer posts something sponsored versus sharing something organically? Can you give us some like tips and tricks to look out for when it comes to seeing that stuff? Yes. So that's such a great question because according to the FTC, you have to disclose. Like if you don't disclose, it's a paid partnership where there are funds exchanged for your work, you can get in a lot of trouble. So okay, cool. of course, what first comes to mind is hashtag ad, hashtag paid partnership. Sometimes the paid partnership tool at the top of an Instagram post, you might see that. Um, those aren't as common because those usually really hurt engagement rates for influencers. So I feel like I've started to see a lot less of those paid partnership tags at the top of a post. Oh, interesting. More so than like a hashtag ad. Yes. I have a lot of people who will push back because hashtag ad is smaller. It's not as, it's not as bold versus yeah. paid partnership is at the top. You see it before you even see the piece of content itself. So immediately, you know, it's sponsored. That part of like is so fascinating to me because personally I feel like why would I not want to support an influencer if they are promoting a product that appeals to me and I heard about it from them like I don't I don't right. understand the disconnect there why people will be like oh now I don't want to support them but I want to buy this still I don't know That's I know true. it's complicated yeah I <laughs> like a psychological study honestly yeah honestly I think sometimes it's just a matter of what they sometimes what they post organically is just more natural to their mm -hmm. audience but then there's also some who are like tried and true like to know what Amazon poster influencers and those posts do well because people want to know like Alex Earl posts what she bought for Amazon Prime Day and everyone's going straight to the, her link in bio to shop her her personal cart. So yeah. um, I think it really just depends on the creator and their audience and also how often that creator is maybe content. content versus organic content. Wait, yeah, I should, I should preface that saying like, yeah, I guess if it's natural and you really feel like they love this product, yes, they're getting paid to promote it, but they got this partnership because they love the brand or they love the product and, and want to share it because they actually believe in it versus you can totally tell when someone is pushing something just to sell it and they like don't actually use it. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like if let's say you were an influencer mm -hmm. um, and you did one paid partnership with Beauty Counter, like that's natural, that's organic. But all of a sudden, let's say it was with like Too Faced Cosmetics or MAC. Right. And it's like I not mean, on brand for you. And everyone's right. like, everyone be like, oh, wait a minute. It's <laughs> on brand. So it probably wouldn't perform as well. And we could just like almost, I think it's those moments where people can read that like, okay, this was pretty much just a transactional deal for the money yeah. um, versus like, oh, wow, they really value this, this product in this brand. Believe in this company. Like I'm now I'm invested. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, Aaron, what myth, what's one myth you can bust about influencing for us? Like what's a common misconception people have? So there's a few. I would say one of them is that you have to work with larger creators, such as like your mega. And we consider mega a million followers plus on a platform or a celebrity. A lot of people think in order to see results, you have to work with the larger creators. But a big trend right now is working with micro and nano. Micro, I usually consider anyone between 10,000, 100,000 followers and nano under 10,000 followers. Okay. Wow. You work with people who have less than 10,000 followers? Yes. Wow. That's, I didn't know that. I'm, that surprises me. Yeah. So right now, me personally for Ipsy, I, I don't, I usually work with 
larger. Right, I mean, like your company overall. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we do. And um, let's take like a big celebrity might just take a deal because it's a lot of money. It's good PR for them. They might not have a huge affinity for that brand, but at the end of the day, they're like, okay, great. I'll get paid quarter million dollars. Let's do it. Yeah. What comes to mind is like Taylor Swift, Pepsi. Like, do you think like she's (laughs) like loves Pepsi so much? Yeah, Exactly. So that's kind of like what we were just talking about. It might not be as authentic. So their audience might just be like, okay, cool. This was like a sponsorship for your concert or this, um, this was just like a deal for for insert celebrity name versus someone with a smaller following, maybe even 3000 followers, they might be super passionate about like a certain type of organic almond milk and their audience okay. might, yeah. <laughs> yeah, their audience might follow them for their organic recommendations. Or even let's say like a, a Georgia, your sister, she exactly. posts about like tips and tricks for college students. Maybe if she was to do like a food friendly series, like healthy food for college or med students on a budget, that audience might be aspiring med students or med students. And they're probably so engaged with her content because it, she, she doesn't focus on everything. It's a much, it's like a specific niche. Mm-hmm. So her, and I bet if she was to have, let's say partner with a brand, let's say like a whole foods on like budget-friendly meals, yeah. he had her own link with a discount code. I bet it would perform so well because her audience is so engaged and relates to that content. So I think a lot of people right now, like we're so almost the influencer industry and marketing marketers are so have it ingrained in their, in their minds, like, Oh, go big, go big, more awareness, a larger reach, but also working a lot with these micro and nano creators does have a positive ROI and we're able to really tap their niche audiences. Wow. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't know that and we'll, will be so thrilled to learn that because in some ways, if you're like aspiring, you know, influencer, someone trying to build a following, that's like validating, right? So you're, you know, 100%. a small but mighty community is, is valuable and powerful um, and can, and can move the needle for these brands. Um, I do want to ask, this is like, I warned you before we started recording that I'm going to ask some questions <laughs> off the cuff, but yeah. what, like, would it, like, I know you can't tell us specifics of like your clients and people you work with, but can you give us like an example of how much maybe an, a micro influencer might make on a partnership? Um, um, I think the other word you used was nano and then um, a big celebrity. Like, could you give yeah. three examples of what the pay scale looks like for those? Totally. So yeah. it's a little confusing because we're just going to assume there's no we're going to assume it's organic usage rights and what organic use, a little vocab 101 influencer marketing, um, organic usage rights assumes I can then take your piece of content and repost it on the brand's social channels, website, email, and maybe use it for, if I wanted to pitch it to media. So that's organic usage rights. Um, I'm going to assume because in beauty exclusivity isn't as, um, as intense as it for other industries maybe because no one uses just one brand of beauty anymore right really. yeah everyone has like a different brand for a different product yeah so we're going to throw out exclusivity and then paid usage is when I can take your content and then run it as an ad so I could put money behind it and boost it from your own page so not only your audience is viewing it but an additional audience um I can input certain demographics on the back end um so it gets more exposure or I can take it and then run it from Ipsy's channels or the brand's channel. So our audience plus more 
um, are seeing the ad. So um, let's that adding that paid usage really increases rates. So let's also, we're going to take that out. We're just going to assume okay. you're creating a piece of content. You're going to post it and I'm going to be able to repost it on my own website and social channel. So Nano, yeah, yeah, me as a brand. So Nano, I would say maybe like $500 a post. It's pretty good. Um, Like roughly micro, let's say I probably aim for like, two to 3,000. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, it depends if they have management and mm-hmm. agent, I'd be paying closer to like yeah. 5,000. Um, macro is usually 250,000 to- That is insane. Followers, followers. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, I thought you said $250,000 per no, no, no. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> that could be definitely closer to like- 8,000. Okay. Still. Yeah. And then I would say a million, like low millions. I would say that could be up to like $20,000 a post, $20,000, a post. And then let's say celebrity level, like you could be paying $50,000 a post, 50 to 75,000. And when you like say these, obviously, you know, it takes time and negotiating and interest for all these posts and deals to, to happen um are like for all these different levels of influencing like how does that conversation start do you as ipsy are you looking for new talent to partner with or do are these influencers approaching you um if that makes sense yeah definitely so it's usually a mix of both i definitely have influencers, talent managers reaching out to me daily asking about potential collaborations. And then I'm also researching on my own end and keeping up with who's really like rising star on TikTok. Who would I want to reach out to? So the conversations definitely go both ways. Um, Usually once I'm interested, I'll reach out and I'll ask them if they have like a standard media kit or rate card, which will just be what they charge for certain deliverables. And then from there, I'll go and I'll bundle up my asks and say, okay, like I would love to hire you for X, Y, and Z with this exclusivity, these usage rights at this price. And then from there, usually there's some negotiations back and forth. And would you say like, for let's use the medium influencer um, as an example, would you say like how much, how many paid, post how many partnerships are they doing I don't know do you want to do we want to say in a year like what does kind of a rough salary take-home salary look for like a mid-tier influencer maybe someone with like 20,000 followers I feel like it could easily be six-figure salary wow um yeah influencer economy you guys there's money to be made (laughs) no there but all also like it could be it could be way more. I mean, there's also yeah. sometimes you might create a piece of content as an influencer it does well and the brand might come back and ask for ad access for it. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we only asked for three months of ad access, but it's doing well. We want to renew it for a year. You could charge a, th- a couple, th- pending your size, yeah, a thousand maybe, let's say a thousand dollars a month for the brand to keep running that ad. For, let's say for a year, that's $12,000 for work yeah. you already did. And that's there is an income, yeah. Exactly. So there's so many different ways. And um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard of 
influencers tell me like maybe and like on, with under a hundred thousand followers that they're making that much like six figure plus salary and I have to ask now, um, what advice would you give someone who's trying to build a career in social media or a side hustle um, or monetize their presence online? What can you what can you tell our secret spillers who might be intrigued by by these numbers? Yes. So I would say one thing is consistency with posting. Don't just you have to be on top of it, especially if you're growing that audience and you're trying to build followers, keep them and keep them in um keep them interested in what's going on in your life. They're going to want more. And the more you post, um, the more they're going to engage and your engagement rate's going to go up. So consistency is important. Would you say like, like how many, what does that mean? Like more than one post a day? One, I think one post a day is, is fine. I feel like you, I personally don't know if you need to post every day. I would say right. like, well, probably every other day though. Because I feel like then it gets annoying. You're like, I'm seeing too much of them. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You know it's a fine line, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, what is the other thing I was gonna say? Oh, um, it sounds super cheesy, but I can like give two examples to back it up. But you know, that quote, it's like, there's only one of you, everyone else has been taken. <laughs> I think that's so true for building a social media presence and brand. If you look at, I'm like three beauty girls who took off very quickly. Um, if you think about it, it's Alex Earl. Her content, she does so well because when she's doing her get ready, get ready with me, she's like super relatable talking about her crazy college parties or like what happened last night. And then she'll be like, oh, going on a date. And then her next TikTok will be what happened on that date. She's very relatable. Okay. She keeps it very, very real. And we'll put the names of these people in our show notes if you want to look them up and see what their content is. Yes, like. definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, another one is Michaela. I don't know if I can say her last name right, Nagira. She um she has the very strong Boston accent. She <laughs> takes beauty to like a whole nother level with her product reviews and just like her own voice too. People like love people just love to listen to her. She's another one who took off and she's again like very unique to how she does her own beauty reviews and keeps it true to herself. She doesn't try and hide her accent. That's very, very strong Boston accent. And she um She's also just, she's, she's open about her mental health struggles and what it's yeah. like to work in a space where you're kind of under a microscope. So she's also another great one. And then Meredith Duxbury, she was the one, um, really in the pandemic, I think she would rap to songs like lip sync, rap and sing while applying makeup. Um, so she took off really quickly. Cause that was very, that was something that she was doing that, not a lot of other people were doing. I definitely saw a lot of people start to do it and kind of copy her. But I feel like by copying a trend, someone else is kind of already owning, you're not going to be as successful because right. it's not true to yourself. Mm -hmm. So those would probably be my big things like consistency with posting, keeping posting what's like true and authentic to you. And then um, one other thing, actually, someone I used to work with and who was running or the director of social media at Ipsy and we're right now like the number two beauty account on TikTok. And people oh, would always, guys. <laughs> yeah, our social girls are amazing. One thing she would always say is always be cross-promoting, which I think is so important too right now, especially with who knows what will happen with TikTok. Like don't put all your eggs in one basket. So I think it's important that if you're posting on TikTok, post it on IG Reels, post it on YouTube Shorts. That's so, really good advice, Erin. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's good because then it's, if one app dies one day, you're not like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I only posted on that. You're, it might not perform. Your TikTok might not perform as well on Instagram, but it's still, you're, you're sharing the content and eventually too, you can, you can maybe you post a TikTok, maybe you edit it a bit slightly, post it on Instagram reels, maybe tweak it a bit, post it on YouTube shorts. So you're getting your brand and yourself out there on every platform possible. And one thing you touched on that I I just want to like talk about for a second is like being your authentic self and being relatable. Um, That seems to be the bread and butter for people who are really successful across all social media platforms. And I remember listening to a podcast, ironically, and it's similar for being a podcast. Um, What I mean, when it comes to producing a podcast as well, is like you can't hide who you are if you're constantly putting out podcast episodes or putting out reels or TikToks. Um, so you might as well be upfront about who you are right off the bat, because if people feel like you're being disingenuous or you're promoting things that you don't use, or you're saying things that you don't mean, um, they're going to sniff that out. So you can't, you can't beat the system that way. I would say. <laughs> Willie, I definitely agree. Um, okay. Now time for a fun question. Uh, how do you make time for self-care on the typical day? What are your non-negotiables? So one thing I've been trying to do this year, and I'm proud, I've been doing a pretty good job, but is working out in the morning. I think if I, when I like the first, if the first thing I do after, obviously, like I get dressed and get out the door is work out. I'm like, I'm starting the day by giving myself that hour for myself. And I, yeah, I think it's just like a good mindset to have. And then I'm also awake and ready to start the work day and I'm, I have the energy. So that's one thing I I've been doing that's really really helped me is starting the day by doing something for myself and for me it's it's working out. Yes, I I agree. If you can start your day with some endorphins, you will definitely not regret it. Um, and I have to ask you some questions about Ipsy specifically. So, what initiatives does Ipsy take on behalf of the consumer? What's one that you're most proud of um, in terms of our demographic, which is conscious consumerism? Yeah, that's a great question. So. I, one thing that I feel like I help play a role in, um, is just our diversity efforts when hiring. I think it's so important that our consumers can see themselves in our marketing. Yes. Because if it was all like the same typical person, I feel like it'd be hard to feel like you were valued or represented as a consumer. So that's one thing I get to help play a role in with the talent I hire that, um, I'm really proud that Ipsy really takes such a strong stance on this. Um, but in terms of also what we were talking about earlier with more um, like products and just conscious yeah. or what, what was the term you use? Conscious, conscious consumers. Yeah. Thank you. Um, what Ipsy has done a great job uh, is we have this one program called Beauty Amplified and, and I think in it was this March they shared that we had already invested $75 million into black and Latinx founded brands. Oh, I love that. Yes. I love that. And then another thing in terms of this kind of ties more into the conscious consumer, but um, we have two things that tie back more to clean beauty. One is we started, I think it was last year. It's called the clean at Ipsy badge. So on our website, when you can see like what products you're getting, or also we have an e-com 
offering as well. It might have the clean at Ipsy badge. So what that includes is it will let you know um, really what products are included and um, or may really like what the ingredients in those products. And I think in order for it to have the badge has to be vegan, cruelty-free and clean. Awesome. That's so great. Like, I love that big brands like Ipsy are starting to like be more invested in, in that movement as well. And um, yeah, everything you just said makes me think Ipsy is very aligned with our uh, conscious consumerism uh, audience here. Um, what is a big trend you're seeing in the wellness industry right now? And what should we be on the lookout to see more for more from influencers about? Yes. So one thing is filters. So, I mean, I'm guilty of this. I love a good Instagram filter. Um, I do need to be better about it. But actually, recently in the UK, they've started to ban influencers who use misleading filters when given product reviews. Ooh, that's interesting. Well, it makes sense, though. You can't sell something wearing a filter. Like, right. Yeah, it's misleading. (laughs) So true. And I guess too, I guess it happened maybe with one or two influencers in the UK and it was, they were using a filter on a tanning product, which is misleading. like, oh, it's going to make you look this tan and then you look like an an Oompa Loompa. So um, that was interesting. And then also I think Ogilvy in um, the UK also said they can no longer work with influencers who, they won't even hire influencers, influencers who are known for using filters. Um, so that's one thing that's like definitely a big trend I'm I'm seeing. Um, another one too, I guess this isn't just for beauty and wellness, but I think it will definitely, it's like easy for it to probably start here because so much of beauty content we're seeing is video, which um, actually I was at a conference on Monday, Tuesday, and Patrick Ta was speaking and he was saying he loves TikTok so much because Before, when it's just Instagram, he would just post like his final look. And it was just like, all you saw was the look, this like perfectly curated look on a model. But on TikTok, you can really show the process of how the look is created, which is so much more fun. And then you can see like, oh, that's how you use that product. It's also more educational. So right now, video content is very much in. But I think next, and so many people are saying this, is live streaming. Live streaming is already taking off in China. And I think that's going to, be what's next oh specifically for beauty because it's so easy to show how well a product can work and if you're doing it in real time right and see like exactly like what that lipstick looks like when you put it on or like what that foundation does to your face rather than wondering like did the influencer do this 25 times they use another product that they're not showing you and to achieve the look that's interesting um and final question for you Erin what is your favorite part about your job Ooh, I would say probably the fact that I know I mentioned this earlier about diversity and hiring various different creators, but I do feel like growing up in LA for me and feeling growing up and being in high school and all the different pressures that came up with, with just growing up in the yeah. current society we live with that I have the power to hire individuals that um, consumers can see themselves in. So it's not just like, oh, like a skinny blonde white girl is working with this brand. Like, that's not me. I can't relate. I have the power to hire not just people with like different skin tones and body sizes, but also different interests. I think that's probably the most rewarding part. 
That is, yeah, that is great to hear. And I think, honestly, this has been the most uplifting conversation I've had about the influencer economy and social media, like how it can actually, like Gen Z is trying to flip the script and make it a safe space and a positive space. So hopefully future generations grow up feeling empowered by what they're seeing online instead of sad or maybe not good enough. So I think that's a very hopeful note for us to end on before we go to our rapid fire questions. So these are just some fun questions, Aaron. Uh, are, this is a selfish question. I just want to know the answer. What's uh, your favorite restaurant in LA as of late? Oh, this is so basic. I, I love. I do love Elefante. I do love it. Okay, I, I see that all over my Instagram. It, it's worth the hype. I think it's worth the hype. Like the food yeah. is good. I yeah. really like the food. I also like Wally's, which is a wine bar and restaurant. Um, they have two: one in Santa Monica. And one in Beverly Hills. Um, I've only been in the one in Santa Monica, but that's also just like fun, good food, good beverages. And it's a fun LA vibe. Perfect. Look in the show notes, our LA listeners, uh, if you want to check either of those out. Uh, what has been your favorite? You have some very cool career moments, I must say, from being your friend and talking to you offline. But what has been your favorite pinch me career moment so far? Oh, man, I feel like so do you. Um, <laughs> I love like exchanging these um, career moments with you too. Um, I would say when I was only like one or a year and a half into working at my job in New York, which was with Endeavor, um, so traditional talent agency and their influencer marketing department, I had the opportunity to work a New York Fashion Week event with designer Brandon Maxwell. That's so cool. That was so cool. And it was, it was very interesting because Kia Motors, who was a client of ours, was actually um, like a partner of his show. So like they had their new car at like the end of the runway. But I was working with a few of the models who walked in the show. So um, Bella Hadid, um, there were a few who were not walking the show, but attending, such as like Swanpole, uh, Coco Rocha. And I was in charge, they were supposed to posts about the overall partnership and it was if you think about it such a stretch Kia Motors to New York Fashion Week with a certain designer um so I feel like it was just such an eye-opening experience because like as you know like entertainment is like such a beast of its own and this was pretty much like New York Fashion Week top designer um and just like the craziness that comes with like getting imagery approved by models and making sure they post and including the tags and working with legal. And it was just one of those experiences where I was pretty much like thrown into the fire and it was yeah, just so surreal. It was a sink or swim moment where you're kind of like, I can't believe that I'm the one in charge of this. Right yeah, now. Like, why okay. am I in charge? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such, um, such a crazy and fun experience. And I just remember like working with like the managers, the agents, the models and like and just like how sweet and down to earth they were as well. And it was just like, okay, like it made me realize like I can do this. Yeah, like, totally. It was so scary and so intense, but it made me realize like I was capable of this and doing even bigger campaigns. So I think that was probably my biggest um, pinch me moment. And you are obviously like a self-care junkie. Like I am a makeup girly. We, we always, we're always talking products. What is your favorite self-care product right now? So I probably love especially when it's hot I always have to have like a, a gua sha eye roller ice roller also a yeah. hot 
I like to say I came up with, but I probably didn't, is I get really bad migraines. So having my ice roller, even like the little eye roller I'm putting in the fridge. And when I have my migraine, like I get these very specific pressure migraines and rolling it on those areas where I feel the pressure is just like life-changing for me. And where can our listeners get your like your top gua sha, your ice roller, your favorite versions of these products. Yes. So I think I have, I have to check. I think I might have like skin gym. They have really good ones. I can send you the link to include. I think I have a skin gym. I think skinny confidential has a really good one too. So I'll send the link for those. They're not just good for like morning routine, de-puffing your face, but also if you happen to have migraines, they're amazing. Or if it's really hot and you just need to like roll an ice roller all over your face to cool down. It is brutal in New York right now. I went out for a walk this morning and I was like out for five minutes and drenched, just drenched. I was like, this is not (sighs) even for New York in the summer. very hot. Um, but that's a conversation for another time. Um, and finally, what is your summer travel must have? What's in your carry on bag? What are you not leaving for the airport without? Ooh, so these are also both beauty. Um, so one actually that you just recently hooked me on from beauty counter is the, oh my God, the primer. Oh she, yeah. You described it to me as like a drink of water for your face. And it is a hundred percent that I've been using the milk um, hydro grip primer for a while. I was like, there's nothing that will beat that, but this one is so good. And it's, it's good for your skin because it's clean. So that I, I love obsessed. I use that sometimes without even putting on makeup. Cause it honestly is just like a lightweight hyaluronic acid is kind of what it feels like. Um, you heard it here, listeners, Erin unprompted beauty queen endorsing beauty counter primer. Can you give us one more travel uh, product that you're loving because I'm going on a trip and I just need to make sure that my suitcase is full with all the goodies stuff. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I was going to send one to you, but my friend got me hooked. Um, it's called K Skin. It's by, it's founded by Winnie Harlow and they have oh, these. Winnie Harlow, she is a model, right? She, yeah. she has like, all the really cool like freckles and things. She has vitiligo. Okay. Um, Sorry, and- it's more professional terms. <laughs> no, no worries. And <laughs> founded this. she actually founded the brand when she was on because she was on a photo shoot and the director didn't want her to wear sunscreen because of the white cast that would give her skin mm-hmm. and she got severely burnt and it oh. altered her vitiligo so she started her own sun care brand that would not leave a white cast and her favorite probably one of her favorite favorite products that I got hooked on was this um aisle lip balm SPF and it goes on just like a lip balm. It comes in clear and then two other really pretty shades. But so many people forget to put um, SPF on their lips. Totally. And- I definitely don't do that. So I'm going to need to start. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I'm going to get you guys a code because it's such a must have product and they oh smell gosh. amazing. Um, Secret spillers, look out for this code from Aaron for a special discount on uh, Winnie Harlow's sunscreen line um and Erin yeah thank you again for joining us and we'll speak soon awesome thank you for having me if you loved this pod follow review or share it with a friend if you want to share it on your Instagram story or your TikTok we'd be eternally grateful thank you for being a secret spiller we'll catch you next time